the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Rob Black and your buddy. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing in more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about getting your retirement. It's kind of a... I keep coming back to focusing on retirement issues and getting us there. 20 years ago, I did a show really dedicated to making a boatload of money. Tech stocks. I did a show called Tech Talk. Um, Stock Talk, Tech Talk. I've done kind of some different ones, right? I'm not hearing. My, there it is. It, it faded. for. Oh, it was the, ooh, the sound effect killed my mic. Interesting. It never does that. Anyway. <clears throat> okay. Um... I'm off to a bad start. Computer says, preparing to configure Windows. So this is all going to be um, kind of flying off. Seat of my pants? That doesn't even make sense. But it is what it is. So some of the stuff that I do is, is about getting into retirement. And I, I try to see life every single day in different ways. You know the best thing I do? I max up my 401k. It's almost a no-brainer getting to retirement by starting the yellow brick road, follow the yellow brick road, follow the yellow brick road. Um, did the munchkins scare you as a kid? I'll tell you what scared me was the flying monkeys. Man, those things were creepy. Did they go like, oompa, oompa, or is that the oompa loompas? What did the, oh, no, no, they, they did the, oh, yo. The flying monkeys did the march. That spooked me. But anyway, I'm totally digressing. Um, best thing I do is my max on my 401k. Next thing I do, I kind of do a Snoop Dogg thing. I got my money on my, I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. I think about financial issues. I've got a friend who's been through a couple divorces. You know what his financial advice is? Don't get married. I know. Um, I drive a reasonable car. I'm proud of that. Um, it's very functional. It's very manly. It's a truck. I probably haul more soccer equipment, though, than I do, like, uh, agricultural equipment and dirt. Like, I'm, I do, I get, I get a chance to use it. You know what stinks is when the first time you buy a truck, that's when your neighbor moves. And they're like, can I borrow your truck? Can I use you? Can you back up my truck? I'm like, uh. So you get the idea. Um, focusing on the market, we've been at an all-time high yet again. This is when, three months from now, when we're down 10% or 20%, if that happens... We're going to say, did we get a little too comfortable? Because, again, oh, yeah, yeah, we're getting used to all-time highs. And on different days, it's a different hero. Sometimes it's Apple leading the charge, then Disney. Sometimes it's Boeing. Hey, they're going to be flying planes in December or January. The market's got a different day of a different hero. One of the reasons I like the NHL, which, for the record, I hate the regular season of the NHL. I love playoffs 
when you're in the playoffs, you have 16 games. You need 16 heroes to win the Stanley Cup. Same thing could be said, and very, very much so true, about some of the retirement issues. It doesn't take a lot. Some simple, simple steps. Number one, max out the 401k as best as you can. Um, The market's finding a hero on a regular basis, and we're hitting highs on a regular basis, and it's getting a little too comfortable. So when the market does crack, and three months down the road, we're like, uh, didn't see that one cut. We, we did see it coming because we got, what is the word? Pla, pla, placated? Uh, I'm not coming up with the right word. Pla, complacent. That's what I'm trying. I was trying to use placent for some reason. But we're getting very, very complacent, right? Oh, it's just another all-time high. I could look at my net worth today and update it at the end of the day and go, hey, I just made $45,000 even though I didn't work minute today kind of thing like i could look at my net worth every day if i wanted to and just go woohoo i don't do that i but it's in my head so the things that cause you to lose money or not get wealthy is you not me usually it's too many marriages it's too nice of cars um it's it's too many jobs it's not a, what being educated in the ability to earn an income so that's always out there. One of the biggest financial lessons I learned was buying my first car out of college. And my sister, this is awesome. I'm going to see my sister next week. I'm excited by that. Um, I'm going to hang out with her kids and we're going to go see a concert with my kids. And it's kind of a weird thing because we've never done that before. But one of the things my sister did right out of college was she bought a house. One of the things I did right out of college was I bought a car. Now, I consider myself much smarter than my sister. Isn't that fair to say? Isn't it great? My mom would say, you're much smarter than your sister. <laughs> no, my mom never said that. Um, but she could have, because I think I'm smarter than my sister. But she did the smarter move. And when I bought a car, I knew I was making a mistake. I was going to the car dealer like two or three, four times, five times, trying to get a better deal, a better deal, a better deal kind of hoping the salesperson would eventually get sick and just give me the car for cost. Uh, that was my plan. That was my strategy. Wait him out. And uh, I, I had buyer's regret the moment I bought it. I come back like one day later and, and the salesperson's like, what are you here again for? And I'm like, I, I need the seat lowered because I'm six foot two and uh, it just, I feel like I'm sitting too high. And he's like, we can't lower the seat. Like, if you lower the seat, the warranty goes out the window. Like, you can't unbolt that thing. And I'm like, mm, I don't want the car. I had buyer's regret. I eventually kept the car. He knocked $400 off or something like that. Ridiculous. But buyer's regret. Have you ever bought a house and you get buyer's regret? I'm now at the point I just push through. And I don't even think about what I'm doing. Buyer's remorse. I think that's a big one. Here's the kicker. You need to learn to kill remorse and regret. Those are two emotions that stop you from getting wealthy. And I'll give you a good example. I've got a friend who lived in the, has lived in the Bay Area for 20 years, and I've lived in the Bay Area for 20 years. I made the jump. I bought a house. I hated it. The prices were too high. He didn't. He's like, everything's going to go back to the East Coast price. Now, 20 years later, he's done with one-fifth of his life, and he doesn't own a home. And he has some anguish about that. He has regret. Um, Sometimes you have to jump in. 
And one of the best ways to do it is like, for those of you who are like going, stock market's too crazy. I know people who lost money in the stock market. My daddy. Uh, yeah, there, there used to be a point where you could lose the farm. Have you, you've heard the phrase losing the farm, right? That goes back to the 1920s when we made loans to farmers that were callable. It's a crazy concept. Here's $200,000. Go buy a farm. How long is it going to take for me to pay back? 10 years. 10 years. Okay, good, good, good. I, I could probably plant enough things in 10 years. And, but then the, the Great Recession happened, right? The economy collapsed. And the banks were like, we need our money back now. So they called their loans. And people lost their farms. They had to pay it off completely or lose the farm. Now you get a 30-year mortgage. They can't take it away from you. So I, I was looking at some millennial research. And this one millennial said, you know, I remember a piece of advice from my father. And his, the advice was the only days a stock price really matters are the day you buy it and the day you sell, and the day you sell it. The same applies to real estate. Sometimes it's just a cost to live and it's a cost of doing a business. It's really good advice both for the stock market and real estate. Don't get too caught up in the price. Get caught up in can you afford it on a monthly basis. And then same thing with the stock market. Don't get too caught up. Invest what you're comfortable with, but you don't you don't want to not do these things. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube at Rob Black Show. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. Welcome back in. Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. One of the things I do is I give speeches. I don't charge for the speeches, just cover my cost of getting there. Is always my issue, or give me a round of golf events at a golf course, or something like that, right? One of the things I, I learned that was particularly interesting about a big corporation that I gave a speech for at one point in time was they were really worried about their employees. And they basically, I said, What's your worry? And their basic concern is that the baby boomers are different than the millennials, and they're different than the Generation Xers. And I'm like, Really? Investing's kind of easy. It's just, maxing out the 401k, it's having an emergency fund. Does that really change from generation to generation? Well, it kind of does. Because what we're learning about the younger generation right now is that they can put to shame Generation X when it comes to saving for retirement. There was a consultant firm survey that I recently read that basically implied that 33% of millennials are actively saving in a retirement account. That's not bad. That's a pretty high number, historically speaking. Now, that's 33% compared to 36% of Generation Xers. But Generation Xers are a little bit older, right? They should have the money to put aside. Their kids should be off in college or soon to be. Considering the oldest Generation Xers are nearly three decades closer to retirement age than the youngest millennials, it doesn't terribly reflect smartly on how the millennials... Well, doesn't... That... that, that okay. So the Generation Xers are lagging compared to the Millennials. It's not going to take a lot to get the Millennials to catch up that 33% to 36%. And it should happen normally in life is what I'm getting at. You should save more as you get older, right? Are you with me or against me on that? Whether you're a cop, a salesperson. Last year I bought a second home, right? And I had to stock it with plates and knives and forks and stuff, right? Kind of getaway cabin. 
This year, I don't have to stock it. I've got a little extra money laying around, so I could have a little bit more money to to, uh, save. That's the basic idea. No matter what in your life, you're always getting into a financial situation. You're always throwing money at it, and then you kind of like, let it go. So if you have $10,000 of investable assets, you got to start. So the bank survey that I read talked about 1,000 Americans that had at least $10,000 invested. So there is some issue here that there's a big chunk of change. It was interesting because Generation Xers, my generation, we don't want to sell. We, we know that's our nest egg because we're close to retirement. Whereas millennials, they're very willing to say that $10,000 that's in my 401k, I'm going to take it out and buy a car. I'm going to take it out and go to Paris. Um, they look at it as a piggy bank for themselves at times. Psychologically, 42% of millennials said they would dip into a 401k. I would never, ever, ever dip into a 401k. Um, I'm trying to figure out what colorful language I could use as an example. And I'm like, Ronaldo just said the best thing to his coach. And I don't want to get into it. Um, I know you're saying, where are you going out with this? But yeah, so millennials dip into their 401ks. Generation Xers tend not to. And that life experience... I'll be honest with you, when I was the millennial's age, when I was younger, when I was 20, 20, 25, 30, I threw a lot of money into travel. I threw a lot of money into girlfriends. I know someone who's recently been diagnosed with stage four cancer, and he's, he's a goner. And uh, his biggest regret in life, looking back on his career and other issues, was he, he was woman crazy. He says he could have done better in life had he focused on his career and later focused on women. And I get that. Because I was woman crazy when I was 18, 19, 20. It was a way of rebelling against my dad. Finding someone that really did like me for who I was versus for the kid I didn't turn out to be, right? So I threw a lot of money. I would have more money if I wasn't crazy about love in my 20s. And as I got older, I, I found out, and it was a girlfriend. It was Judy who taught me this. All she really wanted to do with me, I know you're saying, where are you going out with this? You're going to get dirty? You're going to get X-rated? All she really wanted to do was sit on, sit with me on the couch and eat corn chips. When we broke up, I didn't have an exit interview. I'm not that formal. But she didn't care about the movies. She didn't care about the trips to New York. She didn't care about any of that. She just said, I want to sit on the couch and eat corn chips with you. Um, millennials don't have that yet. They don't have that temperament. They don't have that ability. They, they kind of want to splurge. Anyone can open a uh, retirement account. But when you dip into your retirement account, you lose tax savings and you get penalized. And then suddenly, like, everything that you did well, you just took two steps back on. So if there are no other options, like, I would borrow money before I dipped into my 401k. I would probably stand on the streets of San Francisco and beg for money before I dipped into a 401k. That's how vile of a concept it is to me. So that's one area that you have to start thinking about. It's not a piggy bank. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about money investing more. One of the things that I always try to bring up is is getting into retirement. Do you know one of the first things that I learned as a kid was debt was bad? Back when I was a millennial, I'm just saying when I was 20, I know I'm not really a millennial. Like, right? Um, everyone thinks debt's bad when you're, until you're about 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. And then later you start changing your opinion on it. 
not all debt's bad. I think there's, I think credit card debt, credit cards in the hands of the wrong person is bad debt. Again, if you're going out and buying a new laptop. Oh, who did I hear yesterday? Someone told me that, that who was it? They told me they buy a new iPhone every year. Who was it? Tell me. Oh, okay. So Tony's in studio and uh, he's got a sister-in-law who buys a new phone every year. And you're like, I'm like, seriously? Those things aren't cheap, right? You can get cheap ones. There's a guy in the studio, not in the studio, but at the radio station now who uses a flip phone that's probably 20 years old. For him to send a text message, he's still on that ABC thing where if you want to hit C, you have to hit it twice. So it rolls, scrolls over A to B and then it hits C. I don't know if you know it. It's an old system. And all I'll just say is that he's financially smart. The person who gets an iPhone over here, financially stupid. And it is that clear cut. And I am making fun of you if you're getting an iPhone every year. Apple, though, has introduced in the last couple of weeks a new concept for us all to learn from. It's called a customer for life. Now, if I told you that a company was going to have a customer for life, would you invest in that company? It's intriguing. If you're only going to go to one restaurant for the rest of your life, that owner would love you. So Apple's going to try to digitally bundle TV, music, arcade games, and maybe even a new phone every year. They want to get customers for life. Don't be that fool. I pity the fool that does that. We need to get Mr. T in studio again. Hey, it's T. I wonder how he's doing. Oftentimes I wonder about dilapidated celebrities. Do they sit at home and like mow the yard? Do they have lawn mowing shoes? You know, the shoes that have holes in them that stink that the dogs chewed on. Is Mr. T sitting around in a dirty t-shirt for three weeks now? Is he alive? Is he dead? <laughs> hey, T. Um, anyway, not all debt's bad. We'll talk about that concept and more. Mortgage debt's good. Student debt's good. Servicing your debt's awesome. When you can't service your debt, that's when debt's bad. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. I came to the Bay Area 20 plus years ago, roughly. What's interesting to note is when you're from the East Coast, there's a little bit of culture shock. So for those of you who are listening to the podcast on the East Coast, it's true. One of the very first things I, I wanted to do was really enjoy San Francisco. Like if you're going to be here and you're going to pay the prices, you might as well enjoy it. So go to the street fairs. One of the ones that I went to was uh, Gay Pride. I'm not gay. I wanted to see what it was all about. Not the culture. I just wanted to see the community. Uh, because as a kid, I wasn't exposed to anything like that. I'd pr- I'm not going to say I had strict parents. I just I wasn't exposed to it. So you got a gay pride the first time and you see things that you, you're like, whoa, that guy's really expressing his lifestyle or really expressing something that I don't know how to express. That opened my mind a little bit. And some of the people I've met through the years, um, there's a man who was HIV positive, who was a financial person. So this was 20 years ago. He comes on my TV show and I, I don't want to bring up his name or his company just in case they don't exist anymore. Cause I haven't looked and I'm flying without a computer today. 
Um, I never thought of the HIV community as different in investing, having different needs and different wants and different whatever. And uh, he introduced me to a couple people. Obviously, if you have HIV and 20 years ago, you couldn't legally be married as a, a gay man. So you lost a lot of rights. Your partner didn't get health care benefits. Your partner, technically, you saw a lot of families sue him in the will if two men loved each other and left the money to each other and not the family. It's like, well, my son didn't know what he was doing. He was an abomination. So I was like, okay, so there's different types of people, right? One that, that taught me very quickly. I've known CFP Chad Burton for a long time, but you know what his big flaw is? He's a Caucasian male. You know what dominates this industry? Caucasian males. I like seeing women in financial planning. I like seeing people with color on their skin in financial planning. I culturally don't want to live with my mom. Some cultures do. And that could change the way you financially plan. So back to, I'll say his first name, Tom. The guy who's HIV positive was a financial planner. I, I didn't even know there was like, every person who was lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, they all wanted to work with him because he was more like them than I was. I was like, that's kind of interesting. I didn't see the money motivation. I saw, I saw the community. Tom introduced me to someone who was a sex worker. And I'm like, whoa, this is like, you know, the joke was, I, I was like, I could, if you can get some people together. And I worked with a clinic in San Francisco that kind of like, um, see, I don't even know what I'm talking about. They, they, they help people who are hurt or in bad relationships who get beat up and things like that. So I was like, I'll gladly give a speech. I'll get myself into all sorts of trouble, right? I said, I'll gladly give a speech to sex workers. And in San Francisco, there's a lot of them. Um, you would might refer to some of them as Craigslist prostitutes. And I was like, okay, now I need to learn what are the financial planning <laughs> issues for someone who's not getting a W-2, who's getting cash on the side, who's also a lot like an NFL player. I know you're saying, how is a Craigslist prostitute a lot like an NFL player? Well, you can't do it forever. Your ability to earn money is going to be pretty short-lived. And I got a great piece of advice when I was uh, given that as doing. I mean, again, I, I I was in so over my head. Um, but these were people that need financial advice. Like they couldn't do. It. They didn't know. Could I do an IRA? How do I claim income? You're not claiming income if you're a sex worker. You're not telling the government. Oh, by the way, I'm a prostitute. Against law, we're going to put you in prison. So they don't have a provable income. Many of them didn't have any credit because they don't have provable income. Credit card company says, how much do you earn it per year? And they're like, they're afraid to say. So that was a community that I found very interesting, very different. And that's one of the reasons I get very cautious when I do the show is I realize I'm talking to all sorts of people. Ah, oh, there he is. A friend of mine just looked up, Tom. Live and kicking. Um, where do I go with this? We're all different, so you got to be very careful about who your Buddhas and who your gurus are. And understand that you're, everyone's going to have different needs. A widow is going to have different financial needs than I am. Oh, you know what the sex workers taught me? One of them pulled me aside, and she's... I, I, I like, oh, dear God, please don't hit on me, because I, I don't know what I'm going to do, kind of thing. Um, it's a pretty dark under... Uh, you know when they say it's a dark world? It's a pretty dark world being a Craigslist prostitute and being a sex worker. And there's a whole thing called sex workers, um, swap, S-W-O-P or something like that. Um, 
she said, I said, so how long are you going to be doing this? And she goes, well, I'd eventually like to get married and everything. But what I've learned from doing this is I want, when I do get married, the man that I marry to invest as much as they do in our relationship as I do. It has to be equal. But I tend to see a lot of people get divorced because both people aren't equal <laughs> in the way they approach the marriage. I learned a very, very good lesson. And that's why a lot of people get divorced because they don't treat each other equally or even on the same page. With that being said, um, have you ever stopped to think about sex workers in a financial way? When Ken Fisher opened his mouth and got into a world of trouble, he's a billionaire, he's a financial planner, he's a white guy. And he starts, you know, laying down the law and laying down the smack on how great he is. And he compares getting a client to seducing a woman. You kind of get in over your head pretty fast, right? But have you ever thought about that? My industry is way, 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 way too Caucasian. And if you ever go to New York, if you ever go to the, the big buildings, it's, I'm just going to leave it at that. So, uh, but yeah, that was a interesting revelation for me. Uh, Tom and his group, 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Frozen 2 is on pace to smash box office records this year. Disney's got the most pirated show of the year. It used to be Game of Thrones. Now the most pirated show is The Mandalorian, which I don't know the whole Boba Fett culture. Don't get mad at me. But I think Mandalorian is like a religion or something in Star Wars culture. And I think they're bounty hunters or something like that. Like it's a bounty hunter religion. Is that right? Okay. My producer's guy kind of gave me the hollow E music, so maybe I was right with that, but I don't know. I'm not one of those nerds. I don't get that deep into Star Wars. I wonder what I do get. I really used to like Joseph Campbell. I wonder if there's any hobbies that I have that I get really deep in. Other, uh, I don't like Westerns. Hockey's... Uh, I'm not that passionate about my hobbies. Um, but Frozen 2's on pace to smash box office records. And what's interesting to note about that is Disney's hitting it all perfectly right now. Disney Plus got 10 million subscribers. Frozen 2 is going to be a big hit. Star Wars movie is going to be a big hit. Mandalorian is the most pirated show. Being the most pirated show is a, a, a badge of honor. It, there's no disrespect with it. It means everyone's interested in your product, right? And Disney knows that. They know that I'm talking about it today. And you're going, well, if, it's, if everyone's talking about it, everyone's downloading and pirating and stealing, maybe I should check it out so I can be in on the action. Disney dominates media right now. This weekend, you might see a Disney movie or you might watch a Disney show. That's pretty powerful. And again, I go back to invest in things that are pretty powerful in your in concept. Not a bad way to go. I still remember as a kid, and I think this is the magic of, of cinema and movies and stuff like that. And God, I hate the Academy Awards where they give the speeches. The magic of cinema. And uh, it's very, very pretentious. It's very much so patting yourself on the back. But don't you remember as a kid, I remember seeing Escape from Witch Mountain. I was excited when the poster came out. I know you're saying the poster? What's the, like, yeah, so you'd go to see a movie and you'd look at posters and you'd be like, oh, that's coming up soon. So I saw Escape from Witch Mountain and I think Kurt Russell was in it. Um, Kurt Russell was in a ton of Disney films, I think. Uh, but if I were to show my kids Escape from Witch Mountain today, they would be bored. It wouldn't fly. It wouldn't go. Or how about the cat from outer space? Like Disney used to make some awful films. 
Now they're homogenizing everything and they're not taking much chance. But with that being said, um, you're going to run into a Disney product this weekend is my guess. Because uh, they're dominating the box office and they're dominating the television. Um, ESPN. Did you see that that big thing last night with a football player who hit another football player? ESPN's owned by Disney. You're going to run into some Disney this weekend. That's why you have to own shares of Disney. Now, it's at an all-time high. And you know when I say all-time high, I instantly start thinking of the, at an all-time high. 1970s bad music. Um... But you still got to, it ties back to that first segment that I was telling you about millennials. They have no shame. They dip into their 401k and spend the money. My personal opinion is um, with something like a Disney, you almost have to buy it. And I'm sitting with some people right now and they're like, well, what, what stock should I buy? Don't overthink this. I was talking to the financial planning firm the other day and, uh, you can buy an ETF of like really big name companies or you could buy the big name companies. I'm good with either one. I think, and again, consultant broker advisor for taking action on anything I ever mentioned on that show. But if you buy Visa today, do you remember Visa as a kid? They sponsor an NFL halftime show. Visa has more money than they know what to do with. Same thing with Disney. Are you with me or against me? Because this is a civil war and you need to choose sides. Is this Roberta Flack? Rita Coolidge. Oh! Don't put me on a game show. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Guilty pleasure, Billie Eilish. Another guilty pleasure. I like zombie movies. I like the slow-moving zombies. I like the fast-moving zombies. I like the zombies that are... I like all zombies. I'm good with Taylor Swift. What's your... dirty pleasure or guilty pleasure, so to speak? So there was a big announcement this week. And I want to talk about it because... Actually, one of the things that I do is I sit down with pen and paper... And I actually write down my thoughts. Because there's something about transferring it that makes it more real for me. It goes back to the story that I tell you when I was seven years old and a girl on my soccer team. I know how progressive I played with girls in soccer, right? It was kind of cutting edge back in the 70s, but she professed her love to me on the field. And she goes, Rob Black, I love you. And it just, I'm mortified, right? A couple years later, I'm carving her initials on a tree, RB plus TM or whatever her last name was. I forget it at this point in time. But writing it on a tree, carving my initials and her initials into a tree made it real. So I do a lot of pen to paper. I suggest you do it too. Lost in the news this week that Google's going to offer a checking account next year is ultimately the implication that it has for, honestly, one of the best rivalries in, in I'm not going to say sports. I know you're like, the Niners and the Seahawks, he's going to talk foot. No, no. Google and Apple. These are two tech giants that basically dominate 100% or close to 100% of the operating systems that you and I use. Yes, there's other operating systems that we don't use. I see you over there, Linux. Do you remember in the 1990s, people were like, Microsoft's going down because Linux is going, everyone's going to use their operating system. In this quarter, you've got the 800-pound gorilla. 
Google. Anytime I say 800-pound gorilla now, I've got to be careful because I have no race implication here. And you're like, the CEO of Google's got dark skin. You just called him a gorilla. No, 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 no. And in this corner, we've got Apple, led by the great white hope. Oh, no, I just went there. Tim Cook. So Google's offering a checking account next year. And the two dominating operating systems for mobile phones, which are basically... And I, I hope you appreciate this. We're, we're walking around with a supercomputer in our hand, whether it's a Google phone or an Apple phone, right? So Apple has iOS, Google has Android. If you push them together, they've got 3 billion plus smartphone devices in the world. 3 billion. I'm not impressed with millions. Billions, you got my attention. It's like that Dr. Evil thing where he's going to hold us hostage for $1 million. Back in the 60s, it's a lot of money. Not so much today. So Google signed a deal last month with Citigroup, ultimately develop a checking account that's going to be linked to Google Pay as early as next year. I don't know anyone who uses Google Pay. It's kind of funny. I, I know a lot of people that don't even know Apple Pay's on their phone. Apple launched its first ever iPhone integrated credit card with Goldman Sachs. So do you see the battle starting? The starting points are a little bit different. One's checking, one's credit. Both are consumer finance products linked to digital wallets that are embedded in your phone. Whether it's Apple Pay or Google Pay, the real battle is going to be ultimately to keep users locked into the ever-growing payment ecosystems. If you get used to paying your bills with Google, I had a computer blow up this week. I have to go through and reset all my passwords. I hate that. I love the new computer. It's faster, it's cleaner, it's cooler. But I got nine years out of my old desktop. You know why I buy Dell's? I buy Dell's because they last for nine years. Those are tanks of, of computers. I wouldn't even consider another computer. I tend to build my own or I buy a Dell. Building your own is kind of fun, but they don't last nearly as long as Dell's do, in my opinion. Um, so the tech giants are trying to capture more of the fees and information that we're giving to our banks every time we use credit cards, every time we use checks. That's all information. Everyone wants the payment to happen through their device, ultimately, because it, if it's effortless, it'll entrench you in their ecosystem. Apple introduced the concept of a customer for life, a subscription model. It's an ecosystem. The information is valuable for Google in particular if they are able to connect a specific purchase to advertising. There's immense value in that. If you write a check or if you use your checking account to pay for a hotel in Hawaii, I'm pretty sure... Mexico is going to say, we want that customer. We want to market to that customer because they've already been to Hawaii. They need another exotic vacation. You know, it's great when you're like 12 and you don't know the difference between the words exotic and erotic. And you just say it. People look at you kind of funny. Um, the Apple card is very similar to the Google account. It's referred to as a smart checking account by the search giant. It's going to come with budgeting tools. I'm going to get the Apple card soon. In large part, it's a credit card. And because I'm a customer for life in my head, why not have a credit card that lasts forever? Tony Mendez is in the room. Pretty good idea for me to get, pretty good idea for people to get a credit card and just keep it for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, it builds your credit. Yeah. He says, yeah, it's builds your credit. I don't know if his mic was on, but, but that's okay. Um, so both Apple and Google are exploring how they can partner with banks and credit unions to offer checking accounts. Uh, Google's not just stopping with Citigroup. They want more, helping their customers benefit from useful insights and budgeting tools. 
keeping the money in an FDIC or what's the one that credit unions use? NCUA insurance. So when you have when you have money in a credit union, it's protected too, up to hundred thousand dollars, right? It's insured. It's weird. One of the first financial lessons I, when I got in the industry, um, I had a client who had a million dollars, and we had to separate it into different banking accounts. So he was FDIC insured. He was scared that something could happen to Citibank, and he would lose all his money. So he had to have Citibank as a bank. He had to have Fidelity as a bank. You get the idea. Um, but the phone is landing. The banking accounts and credit cards tied towards the phone is expanding. So it's landing and expanding. It's a larger push that's the tech companies, I, I think, whether they're getting into media or financial services or healthcare. Apple's got three big studies going on right now with hearing, with women's health, and one more thing. Um, but they want customers for life. Do you realize that's happening to you? I don't like change. I want to be a customer for life. I don't like changing my passwords all the time. I don't like changing my accounts all the time. I don't like the newness of it. I get what Apple and Google are doing, and that's why I own both of them. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more.